Again, thank you for uh, the invitation and to be with you here at uh, Guelph Bible Assembly. It's a, it's a privilege. I know that uh, uh, from our mission organization, we have a, we've had other speakers. And uh, so, um, but this is my first time with you, so I appreciate the opportunity uh, to serve uh, sharing the word of God. I apologize for the miscommunication about the, the timing. But uh, my understanding was, anyway, no problem, but I'm glad that we're here. Um, just uh, as a means of introduction, my name is Jorge Sedaca, and I'm the Executive Director of Chosen People Ministries, which you're aware of, you're familiar with. Uh, our, main, our main goal is to uh, share the gospel with Jewish people, the original messengers, as we say. Uh, our mission statement says, that we exist to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people everywhere, including here in Canada, and, but all over the world, and to partner with other believers like you to help us in the, in the uh, effort. So we, we are grateful for your support throughout the years, and it's, again, my privilege to be with you. Um, I won't talk about myself. You can read a little bit about uh, our organization, about my family and my background, in the brochure that you have, so you can take that time there. The only other thing I want to say before going to the Word of God is uh, uh, many or several of the ideas uh, that we're going to be sharing, you can also find in this book called Isaiah 53 Explained. I don't know if you're familiar with this I book. Okay. Um, this is a very, very one of the, the book that we sell the most and give away the most. Um, it is written originally, uh, well, it was written by Dr. Mitch Glazer, the president of our organization worldwide, and uh, it's mainly directed to Jewish people that do not know Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, so it's mainly directed to non-believing Jewish people, and so it's a great book to give if you have a friend that is Jewish and doesn't know Jesus. But we found also that a lot of Christians and believers also like to use it as a study of the chapter 53 of Isaiah. So um, uh, we, I brought several, so if you're interested, then you can, you can look at them later. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to make mention of that uh, as we go into the word today. Well, I've been uh, asked to speak on uh, Isaiah 53 in evangelism, and we're going to make mention of that, and we're going to read about that. Uh, just a... Uh, uh, a few things. Uh, that's not the one. There we go. Uh, Isaiah 53 is a well-known passage uh, among believers and among what we call Messianic Jewish people that believe in Jesus. We call Messianic Jews believe in Jesus as a Messiah, uh, and we're going to read it in a second. So you can open your Bibles to that familiar passage, Isaiah 53, um, and so. You know, very well-known passage. However, not many Jewish people are aware of this passage. And I don't know if you know, but in most synagogues around the world, you know that Jewish people, we, we follow a, a special plan of reading through the uh, Torah section of the Bible and the prophets. Um, and every week it is read in the synagogues. But it's interesting that uh, when you get to the point of the year where Isaiah 53 should be read, it is skipped. Uh, they, one week they read Isaiah 52, the following week they read Isaiah 54. 
Isaiah 53 is not right. There are several reasons why, and some of them are mentioned in this book as well. Uh, but I think the major reason is because Jewish people, even though they don't know Jesus, or many don't know Jesus as a Messiah, I'm, I'm a Jew that believes in Jesus, and I'm still Jewish. Uh, that's in my blood, I can't help it, like you're Canadian or wherever you are. Um, but uh, many Jewish people don't know Jesus, but they're aware of who Jesus was. And they've read or they've seen or they've heard. They have an idea of the things he did. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's many stories. In fact, some in our own ministry, uh, people that we know. In fact, the president's, the, Dr. Glazer's mother, I think, when he was sharing uh, something about the word of God, I want to read you something. <clears throat> he read Isaiah 53, and to her, as he said, no, don't read me from the New Testament. Read me from the Jewish Bible. I said, well, this is from the Jewish Bible, because they connect immediately what Isaiah 53 says with the life of Jesus, because he fulfilled it all. And so uh, it is not read. But even though they're, again, they're, they don't read it as we do. Uh, they don't read it in the homes as we do. They don't read the Bible as we do. So even though they're they're familiar with it, now this didn't come in order. I'm sorry. I don't know why it didn't show up in order. But as means of introduction, why do we need to share uh, the gospel with Jewish people? Why do we need to share the good news of Jesus with Jewish people? Um, and, and the reason I ask that is because I know you're not some of them, and I hope the ones that are hearing uh, wherever you're hearing from, uh, you're not one of them. But in some churches, in some Christian circles, they don't think that Jewish people need Jesus. Because they think that they've been erroneously taught that uh, Jewish people can be saved uh, just by uh, being part of the Abrahamic covenant or by following the law, the Torah. Well, uh, I always tell them, I don't know what Bible they're reading, but in my Bible, in John chapter 14, verse 6, you know that very well, uh, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, talking to his Jewish disciples, when they ask him, well, how can we follow you if we don't know the way? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, through me. Huh? And so, no one. That's for everybody. Jews, Gentiles, and sometimes I even say that somebody in Mars, Martians, they should also believe, although I don't believe that, but uh, they should also go through Jesus, through the Father, through Jesus. There's no other way. So that's why we need to share the gospel with Jewish people. Okay? Uh, now, uh, again, many, 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 many Jewish people come to faith uh, by reading uh, this chapter 53 of Isaiah 53 because... Um, it's so plain what it says, and we're going to spend some time on it and, and talking a little bit about, about it and, and reading what it says. Uh, when they see that uh, what how God planned, as we said earlier, how God planned from eternity a way out for us, for Jews and Gentiles alike, uh, they see clearly uh, that this passage refers to him. Now, uh, unfortunately, this, well, not unfortunately, let me back up. This passage is also known as the suffering servant passage. Huh? Suffering servant in, in Hebrew, uh, the servant of the Lord. Uh, the word eved in Hebrew is servant. 
Eved Adonai, the servant of the Lord, is a phrase that is used there in Hebrew. And uh, so they understand that it refers to a suffering servant of the Lord. However, um, throughout history, most, not all, but most Jewish scholars have interpreted uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah, that Isaiah 53 refers to as the people of Israel. Uh, and why is that? Because in some chapters before, in some other passages in Isaiah, uh, it's talking about the servant of the Lord, and sometimes it refers to Israel. But sometimes it's referred to an individual, like in this passage, it's very, very clear. And so uh, I want us to uh, to look at that and uh, and and see uh, before we go. Well, we just we just went through that. Most common rabbinical interpretation refers to the suffering and survival of Israel. They say, well, uh, because Israel suffered throughout history because of uh, the persecution and the anti-Semitism and the sufferings that culminated in the Holocaust years, um, that tremendous tremendous uh, evil against the Jewish people. They say Israel is a suffering servant, but as we are going to see in a few seconds, uh, it is there's some differences and there's some discrepancies that cannot be Israel itself. So um, let us uh, let us read. Let me uh, guide us in the reading, and then we're going to make some comments on some of the passages of Isaiah 53. Starting on verse 1. Actually, the passage of the servant begins earlier uh, in uh, chapter 52. Um, talking about the servant. Look at 52 verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and is formed more than sons of men. So there you go. Is talking about this suffering person uh, that had been uh, chastised, that had been beaten. That is, is, is describes as how he his form uh, uh, was marred more than any other sons of men. So he and then he says in verse fifteen of fifty two. So shall he sprinkle many nations. What is this sprinkling talking about? Maybe is it referred to his own blood? Maybe that uh, reaches all that believe in him? Well, that's, uh, that's what we are going to see. The king shall shut their mouth at him. That means they will respect him because of his authority. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which had not heard shall they consider. So here is this person that God sends a special servant, uh, uh, the Messiah that, that we are considering today. So then we go to chapter 53. It says, Who have believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm uh, in, in Hebrew is the word zroah, zroah, and, uh, and it's used in different times, but usually as the, as the strength of the Lord, huh? as, um, uh, as his, even his his part, the part of his personality referring to uh, the redemption. He's always referred to redemption. For instance, uh, in the Passover celebration, uh, the, the bone uh, or the shank bone from a sheep that is represented 
of the lamb that was sacrificed is called the Zeroah. Huh? The Zeroah, because it is related to the theme of redemption. And, and, and that is described, some of, some of the things that, uh, that will happen to the servant. For verse 2 of 53, where he shall go up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him there, it, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This describes also, uh, some years ago I, I presented a, a, a conference, and, and sometimes I do it, on who was Jesus in the first of the first century. Because different people have different ideas about who Jesus was, right? And unfortunately, many people have the wrong idea of what Jesus was. And one of the things well, we, we discover from the scripture and from other uh, writings of the time is that he probably just looked like any other person, any other Jew of the time. Because it says he, he didn't have any special thing. No, He had no form, no communist that we should uh, see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, uh, nothing in particular attractive, just a common man. Uh, although he was not common at all, but in his features that we're referring to. Verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So uh, the servant that is talking about uh, had to be rejected, had to be despised, uh, not a popular leader at this time. Huh? And, it's, and, and it's interesting because, as you probably heard, uh, um, the concept of Messiah among Jewish people uh, is in Scripture, and uh, and it comes from Scripture. But most, again, most Jewish people of our time and throughout history—not all, but most—had the idea of this conquering king uh, would be the Messiah that would save him from the invaders, that would save him from uh, the you know Israel has been dominated by other. Uh, powers at different times in, in history. Um, and when the time of Jesus was, uh, in the time of Jesus, as you know, they were under Roman domination. And many, when he went into that, uh, that week before he was uh, sacrificed, he went into Jerusalem and they were expecting him as that conquering king. That's why they Welcome him, saying, Baruch Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, taken from a psalm that is a messianic psalm. So the expectation was this conquering Messiah. Uh, and the most common concept is that. But they forget that scripture also talks as a suffering Messiah. Huh? A suffering Messiah. Some, well, I, I'll have to go a little on the side, but I like to mention this because some... Uh, Jewish scholars throughout history also have said, well, uh, we, we understand the concept of Messiah as two messiahs. And they would talk about Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. And ben Joseph is son of Joseph because they, as you remember, Joseph, uh, who became a great leader in Egypt, before he was a great leader, he had to suffer a lot from his brothers and from uh, wrong accusations and put in jail and so forth. So they say, well, maybe the Messiah will be Messiah ben Joseph. And then Messiah ben David will be the one coming of the lineage of David as a king. Uh, and so the concept is there in Judaism, but sometimes misunderstood. 
he had to come first as a suffering servant. It says we hid our, uh, our faces from him. He was despised. Again, we esteemed him. He was rejected. He, he, was, he was put uh, in a very bad position in society. Surely he had borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows, yet he did, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now it says, he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so when you, when you, when you talk to Jewish people and say, how come Israel carry its own, if, if, if the servant here, the suffering servant refers to Israel, how can he refer to Israel as carrying its own sorrows and redeeming from its own? You cannot do it yourself, for yourself. And it becomes even more clear uh, later in the passage. And it says even that the suffering servant was smitten by God, not only rejected by people, but smitten by, smitten by God and afflicted. And as you recall, all this, all these concepts, and we don't have time, I have a little brochure that you can take later, but the book explains it all. Uh, all these uh, things that this suffering servant went through are fulfilled in the New Testament, and, and there's a corresponding passage to each one. And I'm sure you, you've read them and you can study, but you can look at them as well. Then verse 5 says, But he was wounded, we know this, for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace, our shalom, was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a or participate in a uh, Passover celebration. Any of you? We have? did a long, yeah? long, long time ago. Okay, okay. Um, we 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 celebrate what we call Messiah in the Passover, and we do that all the, every year. Well. With, with COVID, we hadn't, but uh, we're, we're doing back this year. Um, a lot of churches invite us, and what we do is we, we show how the Passover, in the Passover, the elements and the symbols uh, are fulfilled in Messiah. And, and one of the most precious symbols is the unleavened bread, the matzah, hmm? because uh, the modern piece of matzah is... is uh, very, very representative of, of Jesus. Huh? Uh, it is it is flat because there is no leaven, so it doesn't rise. It's just water and and unleavened flour, and so it doesn't rise. Very flat. So when they bake it, they make little holes on it so that there will be bubbles. And so that is a reminder. As we say, he was bruised or somewhere he was pierced also for our transgressions. The, the holes remind us. How his body was pierced, and then he says, "And by his stripes we are healed." If you look at the piece of of matzah cracker, the big ones you can buy them in some stores. Uh, the parts that touch the oven form like lines, darkened lines, and so that serves perfectly to show. This is a reminder how Jesus was bruised, was beaten, his body was marked uh, for us. So uh, all this. Uh, is a reminder of how he suffered and was uh, beaten for us. And then verse 6, very familiar as well. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, there's a tremendous passage if you're sharing gospel with a Jewish person or with a Jewish background. Say, well, how can him be Israel uh, and carry his own sins like that and be forgiven? It cannot happen. He was oppressed, 
He was afflicted. And by the way, going back to verse 6, it also talks us, all of us. And that includes even broader, not just the Jewish people, not just Israel, not all of us, whatever your background is, all have gone astray. It talks about our, our human uh, sinful nature that wants to be against God, that wants to walk away from God, especially in our time when everybody says, hey, I, I do what I want, whenever I want, however I want. Well, you might think so, but that's not according to God. If you want to live a righteous life, you, you, you're not your own. You belong. You want to follow God. And so this is very, very, very uh, clear explanation of what goes on with a person without God. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord yet laid on him, on this person, all the iniquities of all. He carried them all. And, and we know that he was, as the New Testament says, at the time of his death on Calvary, uh, he was carrying the weight of our sin, including mine and including yours, of all the world. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, verse 7. Yet he did not open his mouth, just like Jesus uh, when he was beaten and when he was accused, he didn't open his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth again uh, before his accusers. And, and Pontius Pilate said, don't you hear the accusations? Don't you have anything to say? And he would not open his mouth because that was God's plan for for, for for Jesus. And he was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. There he goes. <clears throat> this person was stricken for the, uh, it says, for the transgression of my people. Now, my people is Israel in this case. My people is referring to Israel. So this other person this is the clearest portion that this is not referring to Israel. is referring to God's servant, the Messiah. Uh, he could not be Israel paying for his own sins. And besides, the sacrifice that the Lord uh, wanted, and this comes very clearly in verse 10, it says, oh, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, uh, but it has to do with with not being Israel. It says in verse 10, uh, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That offering for sin is referring to the type of, uh, of sacrifice that had to be for the forgiveness of sin which had to be a specific sacrifice, and that offering was called a sham, which had to be perfect, spotless sacrifice for God. And so the question again is, Israel is not spotless and perfect by any means. Okay? So it couldn't be Israel suffering for the sins of its people. So uh, it is referring again of the type of sacrifice. Then in verse 9, going back to verse 9, uh, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. You remember? Huh? Uh, he was uh, crucified with two thieves. So he was with the wicked, but with the rich in his death, because Joseph of Arimathea uh, provided the, uh, the the tomb and the new tomb, and it was a rich person's tomb. Any of you have been to Israel? No? I take people every year. I'm going in November, if you're interested. Uh, but I used to take every year before COVID. 
And uh, one of my favorite places to visit is the Garden Tomb, because the Garden Tomb, uh, I say, some people say, well, it's not exactly the same. It, it might be close by, it, it, uh, but it's the closest thing we have to the to the real tomb. And I, I personally believe it is. But I like to go there, and, and I, every time I go and come back, I give the report, yes, the tomb is still empty because he is risen. He is not there. I just go and make sure he, you know, as I tell people, you don't have to go to Israel to believe in Jesus or to believe the word because we live by faith, not by sight. But what happens is when you go to Israel, he confirms everything that you believe and reaffirms that it's not made up stories, that everything this book says really happened. And so uh, I always encourage people, but when you go there, uh, you see that this was a special kind of uh, tomb where it was put, a rich person's tomb. We, we read verse 10, uh, offering of sin, he shall, uh, he shall see his seed. It says at the second part of verse 10, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Okay, I hope I'm not doing the wrong thing here. Uh, but it's talking about how come he can die, but yet his seed uh, will, pro- will, will continue and he shall prolong his days. So evidently this is not a, an any, uh, uh, any other human being except uh, he is the son of God, the Messiah himself, uh, who lives forever and ever. Yes, he had to die, but it's talking about his coming uh, to life again because he prolonged his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see, verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Again, referring to the death of one person to carry the iniquities of many and I should say of all of humanity on himself. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he has numbered, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It talks about making him great. God will make him great, because he voluntarily, willingly gave his life. Uh, for the souls of many, poured his souls unto death, uh, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Even as you recall, when he was dying, Jesus was praying for his transgressors, as he says here. Huh? Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they not know what they are doing. And so, perfectly uh, fulfills, uh, Jesus fulfills this prophecy of the suffering sovereign of the Lord. I know that you know this, but I just needed to go through it because this is our topic. Isaiah 53 in evangelism. Huh? Uh, now, again, uh, going back to what Jewish people believe, uh, they are not familiar with Isaiah. Uh, they know he was a great prophet. See, you and I read the scripture Every day, most Jewish people don't. They, uh, in their homes, they 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 have a prayer book that they follow, and they recite prayers. Uh, but the 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 words God God's word is mostly read in the synagogues. 
in the homes, they don't, many Jewish people don't read the Word of God like you and I do. So, uh, whether you know it or not, you know more about God's Word than most Jewish people. We think that they know, but they don't. So, most people don't know about Messiah, uh, uh, Isaiah, don't know this text of Isaiah 53. Most people don't, most Jewish people don't believe in biblical prophecy, unfortunately. Uh, you know, the religious Jews, the most religious Jews, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, do believe in prophecies and the Word. But I don't know if you know the, um, the percentages, about 70, 70% of the Jewish population of the world is secular. Uh, some many of them are humanists, and some many of many of them are secular agnostics, and many of them are just yeah, they don't believe in God at all. So only thirty percent call themselves religious of some kind, and they're divided among the Orthodox, the Reformed, and the Conservative. And a small percentage is Messianic Jews, as uh, the Jewish believers. Uh, so not everything uh, they believe as you, you think they might. Don't believe, many of them don't believe in sin. If you go to a synagogue, most synagogues talk about basically that man is good and that Jewish people are good. So this concept about sin and atonement only they remember once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. But for the most part, uh, they are they are not too interested in sin or atonement. They dislike animal sacrifice and abhor the idea of a human sacrifice, of course. And so when they think about this, uh, some person, you know, dying for another, they, they have a hard time understanding that. Uh, many of them don't believe in the incarnation, uh, just as you and I believe that God became man, one of the great miracles of history, if not the greatest. Uh, but you'd be surprised that there are some Jewish scholars nowadays that would accept the idea that the Old Testament talks about, uh, that God can become man, and that God has some appearances of more than one person uh, in, in, Jewish, uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. And so not all, not all Jews don't believe this, but there are some that are open to the idea. And we, uh, we don't want to spend too much time on that either. But uh, they don't believe in human depravity. You know, the idea that we're all born with a tendency towards sin and that we're all sinners. And they're like, well, uh, I'm trying to be good, they say. Most Jewish people say, yeah, I do good. I, I try to be good to my fellow man. So I'm trying to be good to make points uh, for my presence, my, my situation before God. Well, you and I know that it's not by points. It's not by works. That is by faith. And anyway, so uh, they don't accept sacrificial blood as a requirement for forgiveness. And many, many don't believe in the resurrection. Some do, but many don't, just like in the time of Jesus. So we got to move on because I want to get to uh, the passage uh, uh, of, of Acts. Because uh, the question is, how can I use this passage when witnessing to a Jewish person or uh, to anyone else for that matter? But we're mainly thinking about Jewish people because of the importance of this passage in Jewish evangelism. Well, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. And you know what uh, that passage is about. This is the encounter that uh, Philip had with the Ethiopian uh, eunuch that was a uh, 
special uh, government leader. Hmm. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, and how Philip the Apostle used this passage of Isaiah 53 to share with his Ethiopian official. And what can we learn from this story, you, as, you and I, as we share the gospel with others? And that's, I'm so glad that we got this set up because uh, there's a lot of points. I'm going to have 26 ideas to give you. So the pastor said that we could be here until 4 or 5 in the evening, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll just go fast. But uh, I have copies of this, and they, I can leave that with you. You can make copies for everyone so that you don't have to worry about taking notes. If you want to, that's fine. But we're going to look at uh, several things that we learned. Before we, before we do that, let's read that passage, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through uh, 39. And uh, it says, you know, the, 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 the disciples, Philip was in Samaria, and uh, some of the Gentiles have become believers there. So uh, uh, Peter and John went from Jerusalem uh, to see what was going on, and they saw that they became believers, and they prayed for them, and, and they, the Holy Spirit was in them, just like in, in the ones in Jerusalem. And so after that, it says in uh, verse 25, then uh, of Acts 8, then they had te- after they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This is referring to uh, Peter and John. But then in verse 26, it says, and the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Arise. And go toward the south and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran, tithered to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as sheep as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so open he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself of, or of some other person, uh, other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and that, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But then it says that Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So this is a passage. This is a story. And it's important because Philip used Isaiah 53. That's what this man was reading. And, and, uh, and used it to share the gospel with him. So what, here we go. What do we learn from this scripture? Well, we're going to start. First of all, we need to be in tune with God if we want to share the gospel with Jews or Gentiles, whoever they are. We need to be in tune with God. We need to listen to his voice. Look at, look at uh, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Arise. So he was in the spirit. In fact, in, in, in the chapter before, it says he was in the spirit. He was a, a, a man in tune with God. And so when you and I are ready to share the gospel, we need to be in tune with God. We need to listen to his voice and not our own. Verse 26, verse 29, again, he says, the angel of the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join themselves to the, thyself to the chariot. So we have to be in tune if we want to share the gospel. Now, then once we hear, what do we do? We think about it, we meditate, we argue, we, uh, you know, we discuss it with God and with others. No. When you hear God's voice, you obey. You don't argue. I like to... Uh, I like to use uh, something that is not from Scripture, but I wish we'd take it and use it as our motto. You know, the one that says, just do it. You know, the, that brand of shoes. Just do it. Well, that's what we need to do with God's voice and God's word. Not, not discuss it too much. Yes, we want to understand it. I come from a culture that is partly Jewish and partly Italian. Okay. And I grew up in Argentina, in South America. I don't know what you know about Jews and Italians and Argentinians. But we like to argue about everything. Mm -hmm. huh? Everything. And so even, unfortunately, sometimes even in churches and congregations. You know, well, we, we, let's do this. No, but why don't we do this other? No, why don't we do it this way or the other? There are some things in Scripture that are not, that are not up to discussion. Huh? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing to discuss. Just do it. Huh? Just do it. There shall be no other God before you. Okay, that's it. No other God. There's no up to discussion. But sometimes we like to argue. When you hear God's voice, just do it. Obey. God calls all kinds of people to himself. This is what we learn from here. Uh, government leaders, influencers, and people of, 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 of you know, fame or fortune or whatever. Now we... You know, I have to confess, sometimes for us it's hard. We tend to think, oh, well, you know, government leaders don't have anything. No, they can't. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no hope for them. Well, no. We should pray, the Bible says. We should share the gospel. I don't know who, what your circle uh, of influence is, but, uh, but we need to pray and share the gospel. They need it more than anyone. This is one case. This man, in fact, uh, some historians believe, the church historians believe that this man uh, who was this leader in this kingdom of Ethiopia was the one who began the revival in Ethiopia and took the gospel to his own people. 
Philip also is believed to have been. So you don't know who you're going to deal with, not just uh, your circle. Pray for, and who knows, maybe God will put you to share the gospel with the government leader as well. God calls all kinds of people. Number four, he says, we need to go quickly. We need to go urgently. The time is short. And as you well know, time is getting shorter. People ask me sometimes, well, many times, they ask, you know, are we in the end times? Have you heard that question? Maybe they ask you. Are we in the end times? And my answer is always the same. You know what? The end times started right after Jesus ascended to heaven. That's when the count, countdown began. We're in the end times from then on. So we're getting closer every day. Huh? We know some of the details, huh? like we were talking earlier, about Jesus coming, about his, his taking us with him and so forth. Uh, but God knows the time. But we're getting closer because time is short. We need to share the gospel. It says here in verse 30 that Philip ran to this other person uh, to share the gospel with him. What else do we learn? We learn that God, we, we need to go wherever God sends us, even to unlikely or hostile place, places like the desert. You haven't been to Israel. I've been there. Let me tell you, this desert is no fun. Uh, you can go days in the desert and it'll be 40, 45 degrees, 48 degrees. Some areas, 50 degrees. It is hot. It is hostile. It is dry. It is hard to spend time there. Uh, so we take precautions when we go there. Uh, you know, we like to go where to places that we like. And God sent me, you know, uh, when I was studying in seminary, some some friends of mine, fellow students, were praying. Well, where are you going to go? Where is God calling you to go? And some were praying to go to Hawaii. Said, well, I never prayed that, but we go, and my wife and I have always followed wherever God leads. We don't choose a place. We came to Canada 12 years ago. Before then, we were in in the U.S. for many years in different parts of the U.S. Always following God's lead. Uh, not always what we prefer. We need to go where he sends us. Number six is don't miss the opportunity. They don't come too often. Philip, it says in verse 30, he saw, he heard what it was, the man was reading and he ran. So don't miss the opportunities to share the gospel. Sometimes we pray. Yeah. Oh, Lord, help me. I want to share the gospel. And, and maybe a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker is with us and uh, they need the Lord and we don't, we're not aware of it. Don't miss the opportunities. Number seven, pray for divine appointments because God will provide them. In verse 29 says, the Spirit said to Philip, go and join thyself to the chariot. And I, I always tell people, when you pray for divine appointments, be ready. Okay? Because God answers prayer. Amen? Some of you believe that? All of you believe that? Yeah, God answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait, but he answers prayer. But when you pray for divine appointments to share the gospel, be ready because he will, he will do it. Okay. We'll move further on. Now, this is an interesting one. Don't wait for people to come to you. You find them. You know the Great Commission in Matthew 28? It doesn't say, wait 
and till people come and share the gospel with us, go into all the world and share the good news of Messiah. We need to go. It's hard. It's difficult. We're going to experience rejection. We're going to experience hostility. But that's the command of the Lord to go, not to wait for people to come to you. Listen to people, then know how to approach. Look what uh, in verse 30 of Acts 8. Philip ran farther to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And then so he asked, and you understandest thou what you what thou readest? In other words, when you are going to share the gospel with somebody, listen to them to see what their situation, what their experience is, what their need is. Uh, maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a job issue. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a, a lack of friends, uh, not feeling welcome or loved, or feeling rejected. You don't know until you listen. When you listen, uh, then you have an opportunity to know how to apply the gospel. The gospel is the same. But, it, but when you're listening, maybe you understand, okay, I can use this way in to share the gospel. Talk about family. Talk about how God loves you if they feel unloved. And all these kinds of things. That's what he did. He listened so he could share the gospel in a better way. Take the initiative. You start the conversation. He asks questions. Huh? That's why he says, dialogue, don't make it a model. You know, share the gospel in a way that it becomes a dialogue so that you know if the person is understanding and so that you uh, know if they're listening to what you say. My uh, my wife sometimes says that I don't listen enough. I know nobody here goes through that, but I go through that. And so I, I have to learn to listen. That's part of our problem as, as preachers and speakers. Huh? We like to talk. We have a hard time listening. But we need to listen so that we know what the real need of a person is and how, how Jesus can, can find it. Do it a dialogue, not a model. Ask questions. Try not to be judgmental. Uh, this is another thing. Uh, we were in a shop the other day with my wife and, uh, and the person that was helping us, um, we could tell by the way uh, the person was expressing herself and uh, the things he was saying and, and, and so forth. The lifestyle goes against God's word. And, you know, my first reaction was to judge him. And, and, but, but I said, no, I think the Lord would love him first. And we have to be loving, not accepting, not agreeing with the lifestyle. But we have to be loving. And we have to present God's word, uh, the truth with love. So we have to and try not to be judgmental. It's hard. Let the Lord judge. We are not the judge. Uh, then we 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 want to wait to be welcomed and invited, not to be pushy. In verse 31, 31 it says, and he said, How can I, the, the, the Ethiopian man says, How can I understand uh, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So we kind of invited him to come and sit with him. So don't push your way into somebody's life. A way to be invited. Can I share this with you? This is the best news you'll ever hear. Can I share them with you? They say yes. You'll be surprised. People say yes. They want to hear good news. 
Everybody wants to hear good news. And, of course, use scriptures. Mostly use scriptures to share the gospel. Other topics are good starters, but use scriptures. Sometimes when I share the gospel, and you've done that too, uh, you, you see something in the person, or you see a family, or you have a beautiful family. How long have you been married? Or what's the name of your children? Or what, where do you come from? Something to get started, but then go to scripture. Because that's what we share. It's not about other topics. He said, he said there in verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. And, and it reads Isaiah 53. And so he used that uh, as a starter and he went to scripture. But then in uh, number 15 here in a right line is a few verses are enough. Don't share all you know. Hmm. Don't share all you know. In other words, sometimes when we we share the gospel. We want to tell the person all our theology from Genesis to Revelation. And we don't have the time. They need to know Jesus. Concentrate on their need. Concentrate on their need. Don't share everything, you know. That's what they need to hear, the gospel. God's word speaks by itself. It needs minimum explanation. That's why this man did. He just explained very, very little about he just says he's used those two verses, and from then he spoke the message of Messiah. God's word speaks. Now, know and use Isaiah 53. As we said, this is the most powerful passage to bring Jewish people to faith and others to faith as well. Uh, but uh, you can, as it says in point number 20, you can use other scriptures. It says here, it implies here, it doesn't say it directly, but it implies that Philip also used other scriptures. He says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. It doesn't say it ended there, but it began at that same scripture. And so, um, so use other scripture as necessary. Okay, Answer spiritual questions as possible. This man... Uh, in verse 34, the eunuch answered and said, I pray thee, of whom is he speaking? Is the, uh, is, speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And so out of that, Philip explained that he was talking about the Messiah, Jesus himself. Number 19, very important, concentrate on Messiah. He fulfilled every detail of this prophecy. They need to know him. Huh? Uh, we're not preaching a, uh, a religion. We're not preaching a, a certain denomination, although there are, you know, you're part of one and we're, I'm part of one and so forth. But at this point, they need to know Jesus and they need to know him as Savior and Lord and Messiah. Mm -hmm. uh, even as you share your testimony with a person, uh, just use the things that are useful so that the person will understand the work of Jesus in your life and in the life of this person. But, uh, just use this as a tool as part of sharing the gospel. No other scripture we share. And share good news. You know, keep it exciting. Sometimes we say, why don't people want to believe in Jesus? Well, if we present Jesus as bad news, then they won't. Of course, the Holy Spirit has to intervene and the Holy Spirit has to convince people of their sin, right? Uh, for them to accept Jesus. But it's good news. It's the best news. 
uh, that a person can have. Well, make it exciting. You're going to enjoy a, a, a tremendous life, abundant life here, and life eternal once we leave this earth. He forgives your sins. He gives you joy. He gives you purpose. Ah, all the things that you have. Yes, you have to confess your sin. You have to recognize that you're a sinner and repent. There's no way around that. But show them about the exciting things that will happen when they accept Jesus as a Messiah. Explain the message of salvation clearly. That we're sinners, or we're just saying. That we need repentance, that, we, that God forgives us, and, that, and, and we have to trust in Jesus' sacrifice as the only acceptable sacrifice to be saved and uh, for God to accept us. And then a couple more and we're, we're done. Discern, follow God's lead regarding the decision. The person might be ready. Why do I say this? Because sometimes I've seen people present the gospel and the person is ready to accept Jesus and the believer and the witness doesn't know what to do. What do I do? He said yes. Or what do I do? Well, you know, ask the Lord to give you discernment. Guide them in a prayer. Huh? Repeat after me. Show them what they have to do. This is the way I did it. You want to do it like me? And, so, and guide them because many people are ready. You know, the, the people that study evangelism uh, say that for a person to come to faith, they need between seven and eight witnesses or witnessing experiences before they come to faith. That means that seven or eight contacts with some believer or the word of God or a message or a radio message or something, seven or eight times. When you go witness to somebody, you don't know what time or where are they in that process. Maybe you share with them and they're not, you're number eight. And so they hear you and say, okay, I'm ready. What do I do? Share the gospel. Lead them into prayer. Ask them if they understand like Philip did and guide them. Help them confess their faith. Number 24. Help them confess their faith in their own words. Like this man said, yes, I believe, as he said, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he led him and he prayed and he accepted Jesus. Don't be afraid to public question, like we said. Take your conversation to a close. Those that are, were, those that are in sales understand what we're talking about. Huh? The, the salespeople know how to close the world. We're not selling anything. We're offering the best gift that ever that God ever, ever gave us. Jesus himself. Salvation in him staying. So make sure you close the conversation. Celebrate. If the person accepts Jesus, celebrate with him and for him and rejoice. That's what it said at verse 39. It says that when they were come out, out of the water after he was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And then what happened? Then the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way sad. No, he said he went rejoicing because he had a new life, a new beginning, a new birth. So rejoice with him. It is the greatest experience that they will ever have in their life. So this is some of the things. Maybe you know others. Maybe you see others. But these are some of the things that I think we learn from this passage of Acts 8 as as uh, Philip used the passage of Isaiah 53 that we read before, and some of the things that teach us how we can share. Well, as a conclusion, keep in mind the following things. And again, I, I have Jewish people mostly in mind because that's our ministry, but we apply this to all people. 
Jewish people uh, don't trust everybody. Because of the persecution and suffering they've had throughout history, they tend to trust their own people only. So they, that's how they teach. Don't trust anyone. Just trust yourself. So they are very distrustful. But when you earn your, their trust, you become a friend. And, and they don't have many friends outside the Jewish community. So when a goyim or a Gentile says, you know, that they are interested in becoming their friend, they say, why are you doing this? And then you tell them, because I believe in the Jewish Messiah that's prophesied in the Tanakh. And so he loves me and he loves you and I want to love you too. Earn their trust, becoming a friend. Show them Jesus by becoming a true servant. Just like the suffering servant gave his all. Give yourself to the person. Show them that, that uh, what you're just saying with your mouth, you really live in your life. And that you want to be a servant. Help him in some way you can. Again, most Jewish people don't have many friends outside the Jewish community. You might be the first one that is interested in helping them. Love them enough to share unashamedly. I told you at the beginning, some Christians unfortunately think that Jews don't need Jesus because they're going to be saved some other way. That's another way of saying, I'm condemning you to eternal hell because I don't want to share gospel with you. So don't commit that sin. Love them enough. To share the gospel without shame. Like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Even if they reject you at first, show them that you care. Be aware of your presuppositions and theirs. What do I mean by that? Sometimes, as we said, we think that they know a lot of the scripture and the Old Testament. And you might feel uh, you know, a little intimidated. Don't. You know more. Unless you talk to a rabbi, maybe he knows something. But uh, don't be intimidated. Uh, don't have presuppositions. All oh, well, Jews believe in God. No, no, no. Not all of them do. Uh, read about, uh, be aware of your presuppositions and what they might think about you. It's just, you know, I tell you the main reason why Jewish people don't believe in Jesus, it's historical. Mm-hmm. It's what's happened throughout history. The things that were done quote-unquote, in the name of God that God didn't have anything to do with. And you know what I'm talking about. All the persecution that was done in the name of God that God didn't do. And that's what keeps it from being. Not, it's not theological, it's not doctrinal, it's not biblical. It's the history. Once you clarify that you are, not everybody that says they're Christian are Christian, that you truly believe in Jesus, and, and because of that you don't hate the Jews. You love, according to Scripture, you're to love Israel. Uh, that's why you need to make him aware. And then pray, pray, and then pray some more. Because uh, some people are intimidated by sharing the gospel with Jewish people. They say, well, they're hard. No, they're hard like anybody else. Before we knew Jesus, our hearts were hardened. Uh, some might be a little more than others. But it, it's, it's the same spirit that transforms our heart and your heart, the same one that can transform them. And remember Romans 11, 11. If you don't know it by heart, uh, I'll draw you to it. Romans 11, 11, and we conclude with this. What does it say? You know, in Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11, is talking about Israel and God's plan, and Israel relates to the Gentile church. And, and it says here in Romans 11, 11, I say then, says Paul, 
have they, remember, uh, talking about Israel, have they stumbled that they should fall? And he says, God forbid, but rather, he's writing to the Romans, to the Gentiles, but rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. Huh? Because God caused the Jews for a temporary blindness so that the Gentiles would come in. But then he says, for what? For to provoke them to jealousy. So what is a good way to evangelize Jews and anybody else? Provoke them to jealousy. Live your Christian life in such a way that other people will want to have what you have. Jews and Gentiles. So the joy of the Lord is really, why are you joyful? Well, because I have God in my life. Well, why do you go every Sunday and meet for several hours and study goes well? Because God is my Savior and I rejoice. So make them jealous. Huh? Make them jealous of what you have so that they want to have what you have as well. Amen? God bless you. Let me finish with a prayer. Our Father, our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your eternal plan of salvation and redemption that you made available to all of us, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Thank you for the beautiful passage of Isaiah 53, this prophecy written 700 years before Jesus came and how he fulfilled it to every detail. Thank you, Father, that it tells us about a suffering of your own son that you gave willingly to suffer, to die for us, for me and for everyone, as your only acceptable sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for Jesus shedding his blood willingly so that I could have forgiveness of sin and that anyone who trusts in him can have forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the hope that he gives us. And Father, thank you for the example of Philip that used that passage to share the gospel with others. Father, help us to be good witnesses for you. May our lives, not only our words, but our lives show that we're followers of Jesus. May people be jealous of what we have so that we can tell them the great news, that, the greatest news that were ever shared, that there is hope of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Bless this congregation, bless all those that are listening to us around the world. And Father, help us to keep our eyes on Him, on Jesus, and our hope only in Him, because it's in His name we pray.